0: All right, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, we have made it to the fruit of the Spirit. And remember here in this section, the Holy Spirit is contrasting for us the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a uh, little bit of review, why did we, we focused on the difference between those two, right? The deeds of the flesh, and then he goes and lists those, like sensuality, sorcery, outbursts of anger, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, or orgies, and then um, calls it the fruit of the spirits, and then lists love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So we have deeds of the flesh and fruit of the spirit. So what did we say about that? What was significant about the grammar there? Y'all recall? What's that? I was in Oh, okay. All right, you can give an answer or your excuse. Anyone want to take a stab at it? Go ahead, Bob. I just picked up on one word, the words deeds of the flesh. It just seemed to me like that was giving the flesh that I know in a whole lot of credit. Okay. Lots of times talk about people's deeds as a good sort of a thing. -hmm. And I would have kind of thought actions might be better or something like that. But deeds is interesting. Mm-hmm. Remember the context for the whole book, that the whole book is dealing with deeds. It's all about deeds. It's all about the deed of circumcision. It's all about the deeds that the Judaizers wanted the church to uh, undertake. And so he spent five chapters speaking about deeds. Of course, we've been calling those works, right? Works righteousness. And so there's, yeah, you were about to say that, right? Well, the simple, it's the deeds of the flesh or the simple nature that we hold in and that comes natural to us. Okay.
1: Um, even our good is equal. And so therefore, the
0: fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. Is different. Yeah. Our sins are what we do. They're ours. They arise from our sinful nature. They're works that we do. We perform. We, we get all the credit for those evil deeds, right? They're our works. And yet the fruit of the Spirit, it's not called the deeds of the Spirit. It's not called the works of the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Spirit comes and regenerates us, lives within us, and then produces fruit, right? It's as a result of that indwelling spirit that fruit is produced. And one of the, one of the analogies that I brought into play last time is that fruit, uh, trees naturally make fruit, right? They, they don't try to make fruit, that's just what they do. Right? And that's what the Spirit also does. The Spirit produces these good characteristics because the Spirit in us is God. And God makes, by His grace, things to be like Himself. So if the Spirit lives within us, then we take on the characteristics of God Himself. If, and so there's a great diagnostic tool here, isn't there? Right? If you resonate more and you, you're summing up your life and you're like deeds of the flesh, hmm, check, 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 check. And then you go to the fruit of the Spirit and it's like, ew, I don't know, maybe 5%, you know, 10%. It's a diagnostic for us. And, I mean, once we do the diagnostic, what is the answer? The answer is repent and believe. The answer is turn to Christ. The answer is rely upon Christ. The answer is to pray that God, by his Spirit, would produce fruit in you and that you would abhor the deeds of the flesh, actually hate them, and long for the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're going to look at each of these. Well, we're not going to get through all of them today, probably not, but we're going to look through the specific fruit that comes by the Spirit. So this is not for the unregenerate. The unregenerate do not exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. It is impossible for the unregenerate to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. They may have things that mimic the fruit of the Spirit. They may be kind. They may be loving. But that they're just coaxing that up out of themselves. right? But it's not a fruit of the Spirit. And it won't be increasing, and it won't be perfecting them, okay? And so, the unregenerate may exhibit some counterfeit of the fruit of the Spirit, but not the actual fruit of the Spirit. This is just for God's people, this is just for the regenerate. Alright, so what, are, what is the first of the fruit produced? Produced. love. What is love? Yes, and what does that mean in that sentence? What does love mean in that sentence? God is love. What are we talking about here? What's, um, in a sense, he could have stopped with this. He could have said the fruit of the Spirit is love. You could have just stopped right there, because if we bring in 1 Corinthians 13, then all the other things that are listed there are sort of listed in that definition we get in Scripture of love, right? 1 Corinthians 13, anybody have that memorized? Zeke, you used to. I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have... I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is... Let's see how far we can get. Don't look. Love is... Okay, we got two. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act. Yes, it does not seek. It is not. Yes. Okay, you don't get to play anymore. Does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness or evil, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there is our gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Okay, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And think about those other two in that list. Faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope are no like, minor qualities. But love is greater than those. I mean, think of faith. Think of the content of faith. Think of what faith means for your future and your salvation. Think of hope and how it, it. life without hope, you know, hope in the gospel is is abysmal. And yet love is greater than those. So, Um, Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians says that the Apostle Paul could have ended with the fruit of the Spirit is love, because the rest of them are just sort of elaborating on love and what it means to love. We talked about love a little bit last time. It's not primarily emotion, but what? An action. What kind of action? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Sacrificial. Love that we're talking about is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is the, is the heartbeat of all of scripture. Right? It is the character of God to love sacrificially. The father gave the son. And so love is not prim- primarily um, the, the feelings you get when you fall in love, although those things are one, those things, those feelings are wonderful, okay, and powerful and dangerous and be careful, right? We, we, we're all like, yep, <laughs> be careful with that because you, you lose, um, you become unreasonable when you fall in love, but so love is not those feelings, although that that comes into love. But um, love is sacrificing for others, sacrificial love. And I think we don't um, we don't have many good examples of that anymore. Culturally, everybody's into self love and self promotion and self self selfies likes and, you know, it's all about self-love. How can I get people to like and love me? And so I have to be creative and I have to be cool and I have to look good. And so that's not, that's not love. That's, that's like promoting self-love. Sacrificial love is when, when you see somebody grieving and you decide to grieve along with them. Sacrificial love is is giving up of your own bounty to give to somebody who is destitute and poor, right? Um, Sacrificial love is being interrupted by your children when you just want to go to sleep, and they have questions about the Godhead and the Trinity. And you're like, okay, I can't just blow them off, but after maybe the tenth time I can, but not the first nine times, you know? And, and it's getting, it's engaging in a conversation when you want to go do something else. That's sacrificial love, right? Sacrificing what you want to bless somebody else with, uh, who, who has, has a need. So it's not primarily emotion, but sacrifice for others. Love gives to others, John 3.16 um, is an example of that. And 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sacrificially loved us by annihilating His Son upon the cross. Not annihilating Him, but you know what I mean. Putting the weight of the sins of the world on His shoulders. And it's also sympathy, love is sympathy, entering into someone else's life, feeling what they feel without being overwhelmed by it, feeling what they're feeling without being succumbing to it so that you can be helpful to them, right? Um, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Let's talk about that verse a little bit. You like it? It's a good one. It's a winner. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that verse mean for you? How does that convict you? Where does it hit you? Love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, we have an example of it in Jesus dying on the cross. But not only, I mean, his actually atoned for sins. Not just covered them, but, but atoned for those sins. They, they have been removed from us as far as east as from west by that kind of love. That sac- sacrificial love. But we're called then to not, you know, um, be fervent in our love for one another because love covers over sins. Forgiveness and mercy. Forgiveness and mercy. Elaborate. Two wonderful words. It is, it is our forgiveness. Okay. Out of love. Yep. In our act of love, of mercy toward each other, when we fully embrace what love is talking about in first three things, when we act that in front of love, ourselves and each other. Okay. Showing mercy and forgiveness. You you know who has the hardest time forgiving other people's sins? Who has the hardest time forgiving other people's sins? Perfect people. People who think they never sin. Right? And so, people who think they never sin, people who think they never sin, will never offer their forgiveness. Because they will immediately take offense at your sin and be like, how could you be so sinful? But we're all sinful schmucks. We are more sinful than we know. Even having the Spirit in us, that indwelling sin still affects our lives. There is still much room for growth. Raise your hand if you believe that. there is so much room for growth and that's the context of the church where a bunch of sinners who love Jesus who are thankful for redemption who are continuing to sin and that's why he's saying like, be fervent in your love for one another because that love is actually going to cover over sins somebody who doesn't think they ever sin all they want is justice for sin they don't want to cover over sin they don't want to be just like ah I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, I get it. You know, you have a hot temper, I have a hot temper. You know, I get it. Don't worry about it. You know, that sort of love like that, don't worry about it. Covering over sin, but somebody who has a well-honed sense of justice or who doesn't think that they sin, don't ever just want to say, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, don't. I love you, you know. You're odious just like me. That's the church. We have to be able to live with one another because there is no other society on the earth, there is no other gathering of people that is able to love that way. In Congress, they're not saying, let's let love cover a multitude of sins. They're not. They want to kill each other you know in in the middle east right now love is not covering a multitude of sins can you imagine what it's like oh i'm going to get political can you imagine what it's like and and i'll just make it generic when some enemy kills your children you think do you think You've made a terrorist? Yeah, you probably have. You kill somebody's wife and children? You've just made them opposed to you till the end of their days. Unless the love of Christ enters that heart and that person is able then to actually love the one who killed his wife and children. But that takes supernatural intervention. That can't be done naturally that can't be done without the Holy Spirit it just can't be so the only hope for the Middle East right now the only hope for Russia and Ukraine is the gospel regeneration changed hearts, changed aspects um, a change to love and and um, that's not I, I don't that's not a statement about the necessity for war. There is a, there is a time for war. Right, so, but I won't go into that. So, love covers a multitude of sins. We as a church are going to sin against one another. We're going to say things that we shouldn't have said. We're going to put our feet in our mouth. And we're gonna, it's just things are going to go that way. We're going we're to get angry with one another. And if, if we stir up a fervency of love and we realize how sinful we are ourselves, then we should should be able then to cover over sins with love. But if we don't, guess what? We will bite and devour one another until this church is destroyed. We will bite and devour one another. And so I am likely to sin against you. You are likely to sin against me. But do we have a love for Christ that allows us to say? (sighs) Um, Proverbs 10.12 is what Peter is quoting in 1 Peter 4.8. It says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Hatred inflames warfare, right? Hatred just you know brings the intensity but love covers all transgressions love can look in the face of transgressions okay and i'm not and there is such a thing as cheap forgiveness okay i'm not i'm not pushing us toward um you know if somebody has abused you The first thing the pastors and elders should be talking to you about is protecting you, not you need to forgive them. Oh, man. That can't be the first thing. That has to come, actually. But there's a lot to work through. Okay, there's a lot to work through before you get there. Step number one is you've been been hurt, and we are going to protect you. And that's going to be painful, and there are things we got to do and conversations we got to have and whatnot. And then down the road, when you've, you've grappled with yourself and with this sin against you, and you've submitted it to the providence of God and the decrees of God, you've done the theological work, then, then it's time to like love covering a multitude of sins. You know? I mean, what did Jesus say about forgiveness? Some of the most shocking words in all of Scripture. If you don't forgive your brother his sins, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Just hyperbole, though, so we can dismiss it. Calvin says, that's John Calvin. Calvin. Jean Covin. The singular benefit love brings to us when it exists among us so that innumerable evils are covered in oblivion. On the other hand, where loose reins are given to hatred, men by mutual biting and tearing must necessarily consume one another. And that's, do you know where that is? The biting and devouring passage? It's in the same chapter that we're looking at right? 515. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Uh, Allow your love to cover over transgressions and even, even allow your love to to cover over what you perceive are transgressions but might not really be transgressions. That's usually what offends us more, is we've determined that someone else has sinned against us. Right? We've determined that that, that had to be sin. We, we jump to that conclusion and, um, and so allow love to cover over transgressions. And there's a way in which you can weaponize your forgiveness. And you shouldn't do that. Um, so, so love. Love cover, covers over sins. Maybe that's the greatest thing. The love of God covered over our sins in Jesus Christ. Our love for one another must be fervent enough that when we sin against each other, we can continue to love one another. We can, we can forget. We can put those sins into oblivion. I'm talking about the everyday, run-of-the-mill, you said something that offended me sort of sins. <laughs> you know, you were grumpy with me. Yeah, that was really sin. I was grumpy with you. That was really sin. But boy, man, I've been grumpy every day of my life. And I'm not going to give you a pass when I give my pass self a pass every day. Um, that's love. <laughs> it's very practical. Joy. The second is joy. Joy. Presbyterians are a joyful bunch. Aren't we? No one's even smiling right now. Just like. <laughs> You're smiling. <laughs> Joy. Joy. We're, the men are reading this book, Spiritual Depression, by Lloyd-Jones. I keep coming back to it. It's good. It's helpful. There's sermons. It's not really about depression. It's more about why aren't you joyful. That's really what these sermons are. And he says, unhappy Christians are, to say the least, a poor recommendation for the Christian faith. And there can be little doubt but that the exuberant joy of the early Christians was one of the most potent factors in the spread of Christianity. Joy. How can we not be joyful given what we believe the content of the gospel? That we've been saved by God's election before we did right or wrong. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world and then sent Him to atone for our sins and we saw His glory, right? And then gave us the Scriptures so that we could read all this glory and take it in and believe it. And we should just be like, yeah. These 80 years, if by strength, we get in this life are really short really short, but the glory that awaits us, right, the rejoicing that awaits us, can we not let the, the joy of heaven spill back into the, the tiny little start of our lives, which is this one in the sinful flesh? We ought to be able to let it just, let that joy backflow into this life. Um, we're, we're exhorted to it all the time, right? Um, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And there's, um, let's see. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Your reward in heaven is great. I mean, think about that. It's so hard for some of us to think about rewards that we have to wait for. We want stuff now. You know, we would rather have We would rather have riches now than that reward we have to wait for. That's incorruptible. But uh, and so, if you go after material, you'll you you will not have any joy um, because you'll see the moth and rust and the thief break in and steal it. But that treasure in heaven is kept for you, and that. That is the glory of receiving that crown. It is the glory of being in Christ's presence. And that joy should come into our lives. Stop and and think about that sometime this week. And fill your minds with the joy of your salvation. Um, What is it? Psalm 51 where where, um, King David says, Don't take your Holy Spirit from me and restore to me the joy of my salvation. Ask God to give you joy in your salvation. You've been coasting for the past two decades. Time for some joy. Some little kid on Christmas Eve joy. About your faith. It's glorious. It's glorious. There there is a, a, a world to live in and exist in after this. After your death. So joy, we must have joy, but remember that Lloyd-Jones quote, it is a terrible witness for Christians to be joyless, right? It's a terrible witness for Christians to be a lot of things, but joy, that one is just like, do we know what God has done for us? Do we know the reality? We ought to be, we ought to be going crazy, we ought to be obnoxious with our joy, you know? Always rejoicing, always speaking of the glories of our Savior. Peace. Peace, 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 peace. There's a lot of talk of peace today. Um, the world offers counterfeits, right? What are the counterfeit Counterfeits that the world would offer to you. And they'd say, Look, you're going to have peace if you have this. What? Money. Money. I mean, we could almost stop there. Money. You know, the whole world is upset about money, class warfare among the poor and the rich, and the poor think that they're going to be happy by being rich, and the rich are unhappy and don't know how to be happy, you know, they, the rich only think that they're not rich, and they just need more riches, right, no one actually thinks they're rich, um, maybe, maybe like three people in the world. If you're on the top of that Forbes list, you know, I don't know who it is anymore. It's not, they're not American. So, um, but joy. So wealth, we look to wealth, um, relationships. Relationships. Like one special relationship is usually how people think that they're going to find peace in this life and contentment. Um, intoxicants promise peace. You want your conscience to be silenced, and so you go to intoxicants. You know, and by intoxicants, I mean what do I mean? I mean intoxicants. I mean alcohol. I mean mushrooms. I mean you know THC. Um, I mean, I mean prescription drugs that are abused. Right, all kinds of things like that. And these things hold out the promise of of peace. And trust me, most of them will just make you lose your mind. Have fun with that. And they will decay your body. And then you will be so forlorn, you'll be so wasted that you won't know any peace, not even when you sleep. Those are all, and success, you know, there'll be peace through success. If I could only, you know, if I could only be successful in this or that, make progress, then, and then I would have peace. I would be content, I would be happy with where I was at in life. And um, all these things are things that promise peace, but never deliver peace. The Lord offers peace with him and in the conscience. No more guilt. If you are in Christ, you don't need to feel guilty. You've been forgiven, right? Guilt, to be free from guilt, guilt motivates everything that people do who aren't Christians. Guilt. And so rejoice in that. You've been set free and you have peace with God. And God is coming and he will come in wrath, right? And he will separate the sheep from the goats, and he will, he will cast forever into hell those goats who refuse to believe in his son that came as a peace offering. Right? And so, but you're at peace with that God that's going to come in his, his wrath and destroy the nations and judge every single man, woman, child that has ever lived. And he will see you, and he'll be like, you know, it'll be like the scene with the prodigal returning home. Father will just be rejoicing to see you, you know, rejoicing because you have peace with him, peace through faith. And that's that's peace with other people too. Um, You you'll have peace with other people. And um, that's not the most important sort of peace. Peace with God is way more important than peace with other people. But James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Right? There is disorder. Um, That's not peace. Peace usually doesn't come through disorder in every evil thing. Right? That's the opposite of peace. It's disorder. And so, um, that's, you, you have peace even with other people. Maybe in this love covering a multitude of sins things. Certainly with your brothers and sisters in the church. Patience. You know, the other thing I'll say about um, love covering a multitude of sins is don't expect righteousness from the unregenerate. Don't expect righteousness from those who don't know the Lord. When we do that, we're holding them to a standard that they could not possibly meet. Right? And so, there's a sense in which when you see a pagan sin, you should should not get upset. You should pray and pity. Right? Because you know they're dead in their sins. They're a slave to their sins. You've been set free. You still sin but you've been set free from its reign. They haven't. And so don't expect, you know, your, your gay uncle to come to the turkey dinner and, like, say righteous things. He's not gonna. <laughs> He's not gonna. And you can just say, you can, you can be loving. You can, you can correct him. You can love the other people around the table by correcting him. Right? And then you can talk to them about the Chicago Cubs. Some neutral ground. Ah, that, not the Cubs. Yeah, forget the Cubs, uh, the Cardinals. <laughs> no. Patience. Patience is next. The word here is macrothumia. Macro. What does macro mean? Large or long. And what is thumia? Suffering. So the word here is just a compound word in the Greek. It's long-suffering, more literally. To be patient is to be long-suffering. Right? It's to endure something that's annoying and off-putting and terrible for a long, long, long time. God has been annoyed by you since you started existing. And what has He been? He's been long suffering, right? And we are to be that way too. What is the opposite of being long suffering? It is to have a short temper. Be short tempered. Instantly. Um, instantly forming a full opinion of the situation and giving birth to it by your words. Now, how, how do you know if you're long-suffering or short-tempered? Um, it's pretty easy. I mean, I think we could all go around the room and have a pretty good self-assessment of this one. And I think we all are sort of patient in one area and impatient in other areas, Right? You've watched your wife or your husband be extremely patient with one thing, and then he gets in his car to drive, and it's, or she gets in her car to drive, and it's like she turns into a monster, you know? Teach someone something you know expertly well. Teach somebody that something you've been doing for 40 years. How does that go for you? <laughs> it maybe it's carpentry or something jack maybe it's carpentry and your your dad's been doing it forever and and it's your first crack at something and now that's a good test to find out whether your dad is long suffering or short tempered right some days it probably goes one way and some days it goes the other way but i mean Teach somebody how to drive. Teach a 15-year-old how to drive. And you'll find out if you're patient or not, or if, you know, what you really care about, whether you care about your car or your life. <laughs> the pastoral ministry. Have pastoral interns who are just starting to to have enough confidence to be able to approach people and talk to them about their sins. And it's hard. And dealing with people who don't respond well, and others who respond too well, right? They didn't hear me. They did not hear what I, I didn't say it clear enough. They clearly didn't hear me. And so, um, you know, and so you find out a lot about me in, in a staff meeting when pastoral interns are reporting on the things they're working on and who they're talking to and what they said. And I'm like, wait, no! I." <laughs> you just undid like six years of work. <laughs> or I'm like, you said that? I have lacked the courage to say that for, for 12 years. And you said it. Bravo. Good job. You know, I mean, and so... Um, Anything like that, you know, um, teach somebody something you know really well, and you'll find out whether you are long-suffering or patient. It's apprenticeship, right? That sort of apprenticeship thing. And some men are not, cap- not capable of apprenticing others because they simply don't have the patience for it, okay? Others are wonderfully patient and, and can do that work. Um, and, and we need more patient men and women in the christian faith to have faith for people's sins and just say you know what i know that's a terrible sin i've sinned in similar ways but we're going to we're just going to we're going to take our time here we're going to take our time here this doesn't need to rise to the level of instant excommunication no, excommunication comes after about 3 4 years of attempting to turn somebody a different way. And so you have to be patient, macrothumia, long suffering. I like that word much better than patient. Long suffering. It is hard. It is suffering. But keeps <laughs> keeps suffering. And that That applies, and this will be the last thing I say. We'll stop here at patience. But patience with people and patience with circumstances. Being long-suffering in circumstances, long-suffering with people. A circumstance, I mean, somebody give an example of a circumstance where you have to exercise long-suffering. What's that? Illnesses. Illnesses. Yeah. Illnesses. You got the flu for the third time this fall. You know, and you're just exasperated by it. But God calls you to be patient, long-suffering, enduring that because all things work for good in God's economy. So that's a good example. Any other examples come to mind? You're single and you want to be married. You're called to be macrothumia, be long suffering. Right? Um, you're married and, and you can't have children. You're called to be macrothumia, you're called to be patient, long suffering. Uh, so we could, we could just go through tons of circumstances, many of which you're in right now. And uh, you're, you're called to be long suffering. All right, we'll end with that. We won't go into kindness. Um, we'll take up kindness and goodness next time. So let's pray, unless there's one question. Any questions or thoughts that anybody wanted to share? Yes, yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Long-suffering. All right, let's pray. Thanks, Sarah. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for it being pure, um, perfectly true uh, teaching that we need. I pray that our study of the fruit of the Spirit would sink down into our hearts and that we would believe your word and put these things into practice. May you be honored and glorified in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.